gentlemen and all genders outside and in between, welcome back to Thirsty Work, your new sex education podcast. Today we've got a special guest, the CEO of the Survivors Trust, Faye Maxted. We're going to be talking about all of their wonderful work. Thirsty Work. Hello, you exquisite human beings, you beautiful individuals. How are you doing? Welcome on in. Welcome back to Thirsty Work, the wonderful podcast that I've been running for a fair while now. A fair while now, if I'm completely honest with you. How's it going, everyone? Val and Vane from the editing booth here. Uh, before we crack into the episode with Faye, who is a phenomenal and glorious individual, and I hope you really enjoy the episode, I did want to give you all a bit of a heads up, a bit of a trigger warning that um, with Faye being the CEO of the Survivors Trust and with the Survivors Trust doing the work that they do, uh, we do have discussions around the uh, topics of rape and sexual abuse. Uh, There are no details within these topics themselves, but I know that the subjects can be quite triggering for people. So I thought I'd give you all a bit of a heads up before cracking on with the rest of the podcast, okay? Um, Thanks, and I hope you enjoy. Well, friends, without any further ado, let me bring in the absolutely glorious Faye Maxted. Hello, Faye. How are you doing? How's it going? Hello there, Valen, and what a wonderful intro. That's, a, that's amazing. It's great to be here, and thank you for this opportunity. Um, it's not always I get the chance to to speak like this about the Survivors Trust and what we do, so it's it's really, really good to have this chance. Oh, no, no. It's absolutely my privilege because, um, I mean, I I discovered the Survivors Trust a long time ago um, when I was trying to work out what I could do for the survivors of of rape and sexual abuse because being a man, there are limitations um, within that. Um, And finding your charity, and I remember shaping my head for your charity, and then we did a charity stream as well, Um, and that was all very exciting. So, so this was this was great. This was fantastic, and that was actually when we first met because I did the charity stream, and you were like, "Uh, "Can I come on?" And I was like, "What? The CEO wants to come on to my stream? What is this?" (laughs) (laughs) Well, it was all new to all new to me and to us as well. So I just wanted to find out. Who's doing this? Who's doing this for us? Because it's great. Oh wow! It did me and a variety of other wonderful individuals. But it's it. I I love the work that the Survivors Trust do. But I already know about the work that the Survivors Trust do. So would you mind um, like telling everybody what the Survivors Trust, who the Survivors Trust are, what they do in regards to like the charity work that they do and stuff? That would be wonderful. I will do, and thank you. So, um. You know, um, there's a there's been a lot in the news about uh, rape and sexual violence, and this is our work. So, the Survivors Trust is a, a national membership organisation, the specialist voluntary sector rape and sexual abuse support services. So, we've got about 130 member agencies across the UK and Ireland. They're working with around about 100,000 victims and survivors each year and that's all genders all ages um which is a it sounds like a staggering number but it's actually oh, yeah. a, fraction, a fraction of the number of people that we know need the service um our agencies um provide counseling or helplines advocacy work and you know what they hear from the people they work with is you know you saved my life this changed my life so people go from a place of feeling ashamed or even guilty sometimes about what's happened to them um and feeling that they're not worth anything no self-esteem um really serious mental health consequences from being sexually abused and and sexually violated Um, and our member agencies go in there and treat people like people they understand what the impact is they know how to work in the best way how to be most effective in the counseling and support so it's it does change lives for the better it does massively so I'm, you know, my member agencies are are amazing, the work they do, and so dedicated 
and so determined to help people. Um, and so what the Survivors Trust does is we support the agencies. So we do run a helpline ourselves. We've got our own helpline, which is open to anyone um, who's been affected by, by rape or sexual abuse, including partners or family members, friends, or we get quite a lot of calls from professionals as well who are working with survivors and, and don't really know how to do that in the best way. So we, yeah. we get a lot of calls from, um, from other counsellors, from nurses, doctors. Um, so a, a busy helpline, but a lot of our work is around supporting our member agencies. They have a, a constant battle to get enough money to do what they want to do. So it's, you know, always with charities, it comes down to money. And it, it's, you know, from our point of view, we hate talking about it. We just want to do the work. Yeah. Um, but it's there, you know, it's, and these days, everybody's got that on their mind. I think, you know, how to, how to, how to get more out of the, what you've already got. Certainly and, at the moment. Yeah, definitely. Because yeah. the, the, cost of living crisis and and everything else that's going on it's uh definitely yeah. at the the forefront yeah. of the mind exactly you know and we've had some of our agencies have had to set up sort of hardship funds to help people really? pay for uh, public transport to get in to get the counseling um or you know to to pay for for train and bus fares so that they can can actually get there and get the support they need um so prepared to do anything really that's going to help. Um, a lot of what the Survivors Trust does is around making sure our agencies know about all the fund, all the pots of funding that's out there. We work with government departments to raise awareness and to uh, promote ne the need for funding streams to be made available and, and to be uh, a tackling you know these issues because a lot of our agencies have waiting lists uh, some of them have closed their waiting lists they've you know it's reached a point where if someone comes onto a waiting list and they've got to wait a year or, or two years um that's it, it's not fair on them because they're they're in limbo in that time um and it you know it gives a false impression that somebody's waiting for a service when it's going to be such a long time um and also so, the the yeah. process of that service is is also quite lengthy like i i know full well from personal experience a very close friend of mine was in a very dark place and the waiting list to get him some therapy was three years and i was like well yeah. we can't do that so we ended up raising money to get him yeah. therapy and yeah. and He's doing amazingly well now, but it's a lengthy process. It's not like, uh, okay, suddenly you've hit that two years and now you're cured. It's no. you've hit that two years and now your journey really starts. Like that's that's it. That's that's exactly it. And you know, the, for for someone who's going into counselling, they're unpacking a you know a hell of a lot of emotional turmoil and you know all of the feelings associated with what's happened to them and that can include you know feel, feelings of being let down by everyone who should have protected them um it, you know they people can be left in in very dark in a very dark place you know they they feel you know the world has let them down the world isn't safe people aren't safe and so it takes a long time to build that trust up, to work with someone, to convince them that actually there are people around who will want to help, they'll want to listen, they'll want to do the best. Um, that takes time to build that trust up. You don't, you don't achieve that in, in a few sessions or even sometimes a few months. Mm. Um, and it's, it's just needed, you know, and the, the fact that, recovery is possible is something that i'm i'm so determined to get that message out there it's not that you know someone's damaged and then they're damaged for life there'll always be a hurt there it's you know one one um 
thing that that I'm aware of is that you know when you've experienced a trauma like sexual abuse or like rape um no matter what you do you can't erase that you can't get rid of it um but what you do is you you patch it over and you put it in a different place when you think about it um and it's like a it's like a, I've used this um analogy before it's like a, a a broken vase you can glue it back together um and it, you know it, it you can still use it as a vase um but it won't quite look the same it won't quite be the same um that's not to say it's not good no there's and, actually uh, I, with that um beautiful analogy of, of the vase there's a, a beautiful Japanese practice which I now can't remember for the life of me where they yeah. actually like take broken crockery and put yeah. it back together with gold and it's like yeah. it's that idea of it was broken and now it's fixed yeah. but it's still beautiful it's still um somebody in the chat has actually just put kin kintsugi. Kintsugi? Yes, kintsugi yeah yeah um and that that practice I find absolutely exquisite because of that fact, because of the metaphor that comes with it of yeah. of the idea of there's no such thing as broken or damaged goods right. in the, the right. metaphorical sense. You have been through a horrific experience, you've been through a traumatic experience, but those pieces can be put back together and they can still be beautiful and they can still be worthwhile and they can still be valid and have value and I, it's just so beautiful to to see you know i love i love the idea of the gold as well because mm. what that puts me in mind of is you know when when sometimes survivors will say i think the experience has made me more sensitive it's made me more caring it's given me a social conscience and you know it it's it's that feeling that Actually, it is adding gold. It's adding something too. So not only are you repairing something that was broken, but you're adding something beautiful to it as well. Yeah, it's making the most out of a, a bad situation. The yeah. situation is is definitely bad. That can't be denied. If it could be avoided yeah. in any way, shape, or form, it, like societally, or if we could educate yeah. people a little bit better in the concepts of consent and things, like yeah, that yeah. would be that would be wonderful. That would be great. But that it's it's that importance of saying look this was a horrible situation you've been yeah. through this but but it's okay and it will yeah. be okay and yeah. that's really really important um yeah i love that i i love that i like analogy as well is is that whole that whole dynamic um how how did you actually get involved with the survivors trust <laughs> well i um I went back into, this is a long story, I went back into Sorry. adult education. Um, you know, my, my marriage had broken up and I was bringing up um, a small children on my own. But I went back into adult education and at university, I met someone who was volunteering already on a helpline for people. Um, who'd experienced rape or sexual abuse, and she 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 said, "I I think you'd make a good volunteer. Come along and come along and find out." And I hadn't told her that I had uh, sexual abuse in my background, but you know she'd done that thing that sometimes survivors do, and she'd just seen somebody and seen something in me that that she recognised, and so I volunteered for the local. Uh, rape and sexual abuse service in in rugby and that was it i mean i i've got to say we we did a whole bunch of training around the impact of sexual violence how to support people um you know the, the even even going into detail around you know how how do you talk to someone when they're, they're telling you something traumatic how do you look after yourself but what really uh i think shook me was in the training, looking at this whole list of the impact that sexual abuse can have. And I, and I was ticking off all the things. I was ticking off, you know, the sort of um, depression, nightmares, anxiety, eating disorder. I'm thinking, no, you know, I can, I can tick. Mistrust of people. And I just, I can tick so many of these, but 
what it did, it, it sort of hooked me into the work and it lit a fire in me to help other people and other survivors who hadn't been able to, to find their way through, who hadn't been, um, hadn't had the opportunity to go to a specialist service. So that hooked me in and I ended up staying with that charity. I eventually became the manager of the charity. And in that work, I started to realize, and we're talking about the, the sort of the mid nineties. And, you know, sometimes think that there are taboo subjects and, you know, they're avoided. Well, back in the 90s, anything to do with sexual violence, with, with sexual abuse, just didn't exist. There, there was no funding for it. We used to, um, you know, we used to look for funding for unpopular causes because that's, that, that was the only place we'd, we'd find any money. Because this is, this is a, a big thing, and I remember what it was like in the 90s. Um, cause... Well, I, I was I was there for a part of it. Um, <laughs> there was uh, like I I definitely remember that like anything to do with sex was taboo. It was still it was taboo very much in the eighties, but yeah. very much so. And when something uh, that that everyone partakes in, like sex, is taboo, the darker yeah. side of that is even more taboo. So yeah. nobody talks about yeah. it. Nobody wants to talk about it. Nobody wants to report it. Yeah. Um, the the whole the i mean realistically speaking and speaking as a sex educator as well i've been doing this yeah. for a fair few years now um like people are already like embarrassed about the topic so they're going to be even more so about like situations they, they don't want to talk about the topic they don't want to talk about the the situations they've been in so they're definitely not wanting to talk about situations they've been put in that were right. ag against their consent no exactly and you know even even further back than that and i know a lot of survivors in the same situation as me when i tried to tell my parents what had happened um I, they, they just shut off they they didn't hear it couldn't hear it it you know and that left me then as a a young teenager with nowhere else to go yeah and so you 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 know you hold it inside and and carry it with you, but it impacts on all of your relationships, on on how you how you see the world, how you see yourself in the world. And you mentioned yeah. earlier about the the guilt side of things. I'm I, I'm unfortunate. Yeah. I, I say unfortunate. It's unfortunate that people that I know have been through it. I won't mm. say it's unfortunate that I know them because they're amazing people. But um, like the the guilt is is always prevalent. The, the idea of what did I do to be in a situation like this? And it's yeah. like nothing, nothing. Exactly, exactly. You know, I I spoke to, to one survivor and, and she, you know, she'd been abused by um, an adult when she was very small. And um, she said, you know, it was, it was all her fault. She'd, she'd been a dreadful child. And she said, I'll, I'll show you a photo to show you. Um, you know, it was how I used to dress. And she brought this photo in and it was of a, a little girl in a dress with socks on and little shoes. And there was nothing in that photo. And yet she was, she was distraught and eaten up by guilt and thought there was something about her that had caused it. it it's so sad when you, when you come up against that level of guilt in someone when Rationally, you know that they've got nothing to feel guilty about, yeah. and part of them needs to work that out, it, and that can take time. Do you think that part of that is down to the way that society views rape and sexual assault in, in the regards that we have, we as a society are so self-blaming for the most innocent of things like bumping into somebody or like the, wearing the wrong shade of outfit or whatever. We, we blame yeah. ourselves for so much that something as, as horrific for lack of a better word. And I don't think there is a better word as um, sexual assault, like that, that ingrained thing of, Oh, it must've been my fault 
because yeah. who else's fault could it have been? And that that's a societal standard, I think. I think there are, I think there are two things going on. I think one is, um, you know, we all want to think we live in a safe world where it's okay to go out and to have a drink, to, you know, that our homes are going to be a safe place. But what do we do if they aren't? So if we accept that the world isn't a safe place, that's pretty horrible. That means, con you know, constantly living in a state of terror that something nasty is going to happen. So what children do when they're faced with that choice is they will put the blame onto themselves because if the problem is that they did something wrong, then maybe they can stop doing that and the world will still be a safe place. So it serves a function to to help people feel overall safer in the world, but it's it's really punishing and and really cruel, and it feeds into the general victim blaming because the you know everyone else wants to think the world is a safe place as well. So if if bad things happen to good people, that means it's not a safe world. So we this is the you know the basis of victim blaming is that um you know bad things happen to bad people so you know they must have been doing something wrong they were drinking they were wearing the wrong thing out in the wrong place doing things that that you know they themselves feel they wouldn't do so they would be safe yeah and there's also i suppose the 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 fact that we're brought up especially in this day and age like in historically I did a big project years ago on like the the fables and fairy tales and historically mm -hmm. fables and fairy tales were designed to teach a lesson whereas nowadays fables and fairy tales paint a perfect world and how mm -hmm. everything's going to be perfect and everything's okay and only bad things happen to bad people and yeah. and that whole dynamic gets drilled yeah. into us at such a young age that yeah. the the concept of of the fact that the world is unfair and that bad things happen because of bad people not to yeah. bad people yeah exactly yeah i mean you made me think about the brothers grim because fairy mm. stories usually were pretty pretty awful weren't well, they? they were vile they were horrible <laughs> <It's> scary, <yeah. laughs> um and you know in reality for you know i don't know one in four children one in one in four girls one in six boys maybe you know it, it really is a horrible world yeah i mean this i, I looked up earlier this like the statistics just to mm. update myself yeah. um on them because i know that I, I remember the last time we when we did that charity stream for the survivors trust i looked them all up to make sure that i had all my yeah. facts right and what have you but then i'm aware that obviously with the pandemic hitting there was a massive spree of yeah. um date rape yeah. Um, straight afterwards yeah. because no yeah. one was allowed out and then everyone went out and got too too hammered or they were like people went out specifically to drug people yeah. which is it churns my stomach to think about it but but it did happen um yeah. and yeah, yeah the, the statistics are horrific the statistics are and the, yeah. and it has to be said as well the statistics are only the reported cases exactly and still the vast majority of the victims don't report mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, something like 80% or so, at least, maybe more than that, don't report and never report. I think the other impact of the, the pandemic and the lockdowns was that some people were trapped at home mm. with the abuser. And I think we'll be seeing the impact of that for a few years. Um, I think so too, maybe, yeah. Maybe longer, yeah, with people coming forward eventually when it's safe or when they feel safe to i know that there was a big thing with um when they brought out the the emergency alarms um on when the emergency alarm was meant to sound off on people's phone yeah. and there was a big thing yeah. being like if you are the victim of domestic violence and yeah. you have a secret phone make sure your phone is turned off yeah. during that yeah. time because they'll find out they will find out it'll go off whether we yeah. like it or not and yeah. that that whole scenario like it was one of those things and and i'm forever learning this whole dynamic of it like yeah. you're not aware of something un until you're aware of it like yeah. and that was completely never even considered it never even considered it somebody said it and i was like 
oh oh my god like the the penny drop moment of yeah. this is yeah. this is horrible how could somebody not have thought of that but then i think yeah. I, I didn't think of it so you know just well wow. you know and and why why would you why mm. why would you think of that it's not unless you're in a situation sometimes until it becomes apparent um you know all all the different nuances and and different issues and you know for someone who's trying to escape a relationship then that can be a really dangerous time um it's you know that i think it's more dangerous than any other time really in that relationship when someone's making that break for freedom yeah um so yeah to have to have their phone which is maybe a you know a phone that's going to get them some help you know you know if they need it quickly um yeah to have that discovered it's that um, lifeline isn't it it's the and yeah. like you say the the most dangerous time is when somebody's preparing to leave because yeah. that's the point where they are like there's always first of all their own paranoia of being discovered makes them yeah. act differently which puts the abuser on edge the that whole dynamic then just the the tension builds yeah and yeah. and that's when it's most volatile um mm. and 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 most scary for for the the like survivor of that abuse just mm. to go through that oh yeah just just I think as well in, in that relationship, you know, the the fear of losing this person that they've had total control over um, yeah. Yeah, drives drives that, that anger and that uh, fear in them that makes them lash out. Um, yeah, very, very dangerous time. No, most certainly. In regards to like, like, oh, like, obviously, this is you were saying at the beginning that this was the first time you've done similar sort of thing, or you've done similar sort of, yeah. sort of things to this, but this is slightly different. Have yeah. you seen? Because as a sex educator, I have seen um, massive changes from when I was a, a kid learning about sex, um, and then with the ingress of influencers and Instagram and um, all these different social medias like the talking about sex and the openness about yeah. sex and the fact that a beautiful person doesn't have to be a, a fashion model that yeah. that entire body confidence sex positive environment has massively exploded have you in the survivors trust seen like benefits from that do you think it's got better do you think it's got worse um i'm I'm going to say is probably a bit of both. So I think there is more of an openness and there is more focus on awareness and, um, you know, raise, raising awareness of um, what, what to do or where you can get help. Um, but on the other hand, I think there's been, you know, a huge increase in online facilitated sexual abuse for example and sexual exploitation oh, so course, yeah. you know and and we've got new ways of uh sexually exploiting and, and abusing people so you know i see that as a, a a real problem so on the one hand there is more openness about it but on the other there's arguably uh, more ways of offending and harming people and you know pe people are still vulnerable and i suppose um, that realistically like I, i'm aware as well being in the world of social media that the laws are slow to catch up with yeah. the needs yeah. of the internet yeah so i can imagine that that becomes because i know that it's it's only relatively recently that stuff like revenge porn has become illegal yes. Because, yeah. And because and yeah. why, why would anyone think about making that illegal? And it's like, well, this is the day and age of the internet. You are having people are having their, yeah. their images displayed without consent. And, and it's causing exactly. all kinds of problems. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, there, there's always been um, sort of images taken back in the old days with cameras. And, you know, now those images get uploaded online. Yeah. So someone, you know, who who had a, photos taken years ago still has that thought that those images are out there and being used by um, abusers and paedophiles. Um, and that's hugely distressing, yeah. um, you know, because it's like an ongoing injury to them. And, and the laws haven't kept up and the compensation scheme hasn't kept up. 
So that's one of the things that we've been asking for to, to change um, the guidelines and the rules around claiming criminal injuries compensation to take account of these new offences that, you know, that they're, they're not necessarily violent acts, but they injure and they harm people. Yeah. So we'd like to see that change made. That was one of the things that the independent inquiry into child sexual abuse called for was the criminal injuries to be sort of re-looked at to, to make sure it was fit for purpose. That's really good. I, I remember, I don't know whether it's changed since I last looked it up, but I remember like how badly my stomach turned when I found out that like the sentence for for rape and sexual abuse was like five years. And I was like, yeah. you can get much worse for theft. And I'm like, yeah. you've, you've, yeah. you're literally going out of your way to destroy somebody's life mm -hmm. and yeah. you are not, and, you, and you're getting five years. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. that's mind blowing. Now with life experience and, and understanding and, and meeting so many different people from different walks of life, I'm very mm -hmm. much more of a of an idea of rehabilitation over punishment. Um, yeah. But it's still the the idea that somebody can get five years of rehabilitation, five years of of going to see a, a therapist and and find out the like understand the reason why what they did was wrong and how horrific it is and and that entire dynamic yeah. is still not very long. It's still no. like and that's if if the system was perfect and well funded, which it definitely yeah. isn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, you know, you're absolutely right. There are people out there who've got, um, you know, they, they may have inappropriate thoughts around children and be, be really horrified at themselves. And the help absolutely needs to be there, mm. um, you know, because otherwise, you know, the, you don't know what pathway that person's going to follow. So yeah. I'm, I totally support rehabilitation, working with offenders, or or people who are at risk of offending um we have to do that we have to put the investment into that as well that's preventive work yeah um i also think there are some people who are beyond rehabilitation yeah and i would like to see them locked up for a long time yeah most certainly <laughs> I have to say, yeah you know the, the people who with the best will in the world you know they they are not going to change that you know they are thoroughly thoroughly nasty there, uh, yes there are people out there that are stuck in their ways because they refuse to be any other way yeah. in the most innocent yeah. of ways in regards to like i know political value or or the fact that they're yeah. misogynistic or whatever the scenario and, yeah. and those are i'm not going to say better uh, but i will say that they are like more socially acceptable um yeah. in the regards that yeah. like society is gonna overlook um, a misogynistic comment whereas with, with something like this it's it's far worse it's far worse yeah. and you're right there will there are people out there that will just be stuck in their ways for the sake of being stuck in their ways they do not want to learn any differently they do not want to change and those people should be be locked up for the good of society really they, <laughs> they should be taken they should have that that element yeah the risk, well, the, the threat to society taken away yeah. because, yeah. like you say, they're, they're dangerous, but... Yeah, and I think it's the it's the assessment of the harm that, that can be caused. Mm. Um, you know, because it really, without the right kind of help, it can be uh, really life-destroying. You know, you're talking about your friend earlier being in a, in a dark place. Um, and some people don't come back from that. Unfortunately not, no. I'm, mm. I'm unfortunately all too aware of, of that side of mm. things. All too mm. aware of that side of things. Yeah. Yeah. But but you're right in the regards that it needs to be... It's And, and this is, what I think, one of the, the major problems that we as a society have, but I don't know how to fix it. Um, and I'm definitely not the best person to even try. Um, but it's it's one of those situations where I remember, like, being a younger man, finding out about sex, finding out about um, about rape and sexual abuse and being horrified. Um, but my anger was always, like, all of my emotion towards the concept of rape was against the perpetrator. And I yeah. never once, especially as a younger person, I never once thought about the survivor. And no. it was only 
it was only afterwards that I started, and, and I remember it very clearly, it was a project that somebody was, um, a, a agency I used to work for was like, hey, Valen, do you know anybody, any any um, female actors that would be up for going and working with survivors of rape and sexual abuse? And I was like, I would do it, give it to me. And they were like, yeah, you can't, because unfortunately the, the scenario and the situation there is that you're a man and the, the, they're in a delicate position at this moment and they've specifically asked for for women performers and i was like that that hit me so hard the mm. idea that i wasn't able to help when i was so keen to um and yeah, that's that's really sad valen because you know men absolutely can help and and can be counselors and can be advocates mm. and i think they I think you're right. There are there are some women who would struggle to work with a male worker, but yeah. there are others who wouldn't. Others who really want to see um, uh, a man who's positive and supportive. Um, and we shouldn't forget that. We really shouldn't forget that the overwhelming vast majority of men are not offenders. They're regular regular kind people yeah oh most certainly most certainly and and it's also keen to say i i'm as a cisgendered man myself i'm very keen to say but it's also our responsibility to hold other people's sexist comments their misogynistic comments their potentially sexually assault charged yeah. comments hold them accountable for those things somebody says something yeah. inappropriate yeah. call them out on it yeah and... Exactly, exactly. And I think it's just a, I think it's a really difficult area sometimes mm. for, for men. I'm thinking about, you know, running, running some training yesterday and, it, you know, we had a, a room full of 20 people, 18, 18 women, two men. And, you know, most of the way, we got most of the way through the day and then suddenly one guy said, you know, I, I feel a bit uncomfortable here. Said, I'm just so aware that, you know, most of these offences are committed by men. I'm mm. feeling bad for, for being a man. And I, again, I thought that was really sad, you know, because it's the minority who are causing the, the problems. Um, and, you know, we had, a, we had a talk about that. And I think he, I think he felt okay afterwards, um, but it, it really brought home how difficult it is to to hear, um, you know that, uh, you know that if you're a man yourself and you're hearing about what other men do, um, yeah, there's I'm definitely there's definitely a weight there, and there's definitely a uh, a sense of the because of our similarities even if those similarities are merely in what genitalia we have or like you know I'm, and i'm not gonna try and um harsh down on any other genders that also have penises you know i'm i'm opening it up to everybody like if yeah. you share something with somebody who has done something so horrific you feel that weight you feel yeah. that weight and yeah. and you can either, in my experience anyway, you can either um, sit with the weight till it makes you uncomfortable, or you can use that to fuel yeah. your ability to stand up against it. Yeah. And yeah. this is what I have done. Because in my teenage years, I was definitely the other way around. I was like, oh my God, I, I hate men because I'm, I am one. And <laughs> yeah. they do such horrific things. Um, and it's it was it was an interesting period of my life mm -hmm. where i changed that thought process to know i am a man but i am not responsible for their actions yeah. but i can use this feeling this these emotions i have to fuel me to push back against that behavior to help educate people that that is not mm -hmm. okay to help educate people that the the innocent joke that you think is really funny actually makes somebody really uncomfortable and that's yeah. not okay like it's yeah. it is that kind of scenario and i i mean i'm i'm also have a horrifically bad justice complex and every single time this <laughs> this conversation always gets me really fired up but i am it's such an important conversation to have you know is culture changing and that's what we need yeah. 
and you know to uh, we need to stand together with it and like you say call it out and challenge it yeah. because that's how you start to shift perceptions and you know uh, we, that can be done it takes time it takes time like so many things that are worthwhile do um but it can be done and i think what what you do is is part of that culture change it's it's great. Well, thank you very much. Flattery gets you everywhere. Um, <laughs> no, that is, yeah, it, it's really, it, do you know what? It means a lot coming from you um, because of the work that you do um, and, and the fact that that is so close to my heart um, yeah. because, I, I mean, I am well and true. Somebody described me earlier today as a sex enthusiast, and I was like, <laughs> I, I appreciate that. Um and the the whole dynamic of of the fact that I I am so passionate about sex. I'm so passionate about eroticism and sex yeah. and all the dynamics and all all the different elements. And this feels like the like this entire subject. As soon as it comes to to a breach of consent, it just sullies everything yeah. that I hold dear. And I think that's probably why yeah. I find it why I get so oh like worked <laughs> up about it. You know, well, but sex should be good. Sex yes. should be wonderful and consensual and when it's not it spoils that it then it, it spoils that experience and you know yeah, it it's something that survivors can struggle with you know that intimacy afterwards and, yeah. and having you know the memories sort of uh, intruding into the present day that's uh, one of the one of the most damaging things and yet you know have absolutely every right to to a joyful sex life as much as anyone else oh 100 percent. and and i think that's is is that something that the survivors trust get involved with in regards to their um the help because obviously you you provide help on so many different levels to so many different agencies um, agencies across the country okay. is it something that you get involved in, in in helping people in that next step like first there's the first step of the counseling we're getting over the incident itself and then there's the next step of being like it's okay to go back and enjoy these things yeah i mean we we don't um specifically do that but we we certainly um you know we certainly support that you know we yeah. we, we uh, collaborated with survivors to write a, a a website support website and part of that was around intimacy because you know survivors need to have need to have almost that permission it's yeah. okay it's okay for you to enjoy your body um you know whatever someone else did that wasn't that wasn't you you can make choices now and so there is a, a specific section on that website which is not detailed um you know we we had to <laughs> we had to be mindful about who might access it but definitely the basis of it is you know you have a you have a right and to um, enjoy your life and, you know, enjoy intimacy with your partner and, you know, it's, it's your right and you should have that. And I think, I think it's also worth stating as well, like the, the further step from that, that if you are a partner who has been with somebody who has been sexually abused, either historically or relatively recently, um, patience, patience yeah. and, yeah. and creating that safe environment um to to be like do you know what it's it's okay to have a yeah. breakdown it's okay yeah. that the the mood was taken away from us it's okay that you were absolutely there for one minute and then suddenly you're not and yeah. it's that it's the patience and working through it and yeah. taking it really slowly and just being like okay let's see where you're comfortable and if yeah. there's any point and i think one element that i'm very very well of aware of due to my sexual experiences with with people who have um, been unfortunately through that um the the importance of making sure that that person doesn't feel any guilt for yeah. a trauma response they can't control yeah yeah and that's that's always been really important to me of just being yeah. like it's yeah. okay it's yeah. all right yeah and I, you know, I think that, you know, when, when you talk about trauma responses, if that's a, a panic attack or a flashback, then, you know, that's, that's going to really impact on that person. Well, the, you know, both, both that person and their partner, that's going to be 
difficult to work through, but, you know, it, it can be done. And like you say, it takes patience, that's all. It does. It does. But on, on the other side of things, and, and this is something that, I, again, on that dynamic of, of patience and understanding and, and respect, mutual respect, there's also a really nice silver lining. I'm, I'm one of these people that love silver linings. Um, I, I, the silver lining is that you, you are taking the time to heal with them. And you are also learning a deep, intimate connection with yeah. each other. And yeah. that will, as much as it might be hard mm. and frustrating at times, um, the connection and the trust that you will build up with that person, it will be second to none. Will yeah. be second to none. And, and yeah. I think it's really important to say that it's not all just patience and and um frustration and stuff like that there's, there's so no, much more to it yeah 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 that's it and i think you're right you know the the value of that trusting relationship um and taking the time to develop that and to and to cherish that mm. yeah that's really good that's really really good have your perspectives changed like with your work over the past 20 years um, in in what way, Fallon? What in, in, in the regards way? that do you, do you think that the perspectives that you came into the Survivors Trust with have changed, in, like in this day and age, in, in regards to all of the work that you do, um, and the yeah, your your personal perspective, your personal core values, etc. I think <clears throat> I think my core values have stayed the same. Mm -hmm. I think I. I've always, uh, I've always wanted to uh, promote empowerment, survivor empowerment, awareness, education. I think that's one of the one of the best gifts you can give someone is information about their trauma responses, what's happened to them, prevalence, the fact that it wasn't their fault. You know, if that means talking about offender behavior and how um, how offenders can manipulate people around them. So I've always felt that that's important. I think when I when I first started working at Survivors Trust, there it, it felt like we would take two steps forward and two back. And, you know, it felt like we'd make a bit of progress and raise awareness and then it would, would suddenly fall back again. And I think we're still in the same place. It yeah. still feels like some of the same battles are being played out. And I know that there, there are big efforts being, being made. For example, with the police, they have a, a huge... Um, project running at the moment called um, Operation Bluestone Soteria, and it's about improving the police response to, to victims and survivors. And it's it's fantastic. I'm, I'm so glad they're doing it. But it's against a backdrop of, you know, the, the vast majority of reported rapes never end up in court. Um, you know, the, the, so many are just go by the wayside. Um, so we, we have a system that really doesn't work for victims. It's, you know, we've got an adversarial court system where what the defence barrister does is try to almost blacken the name of the victim and the reputation of the victim, you know, make, um, insinuate that they're not trustworthy or they had another motive for, for making the allegation. Um, so it, it feels like the whole system needs to be changed, and that is that is a battle to keep going back into the same meetings and the same, you know, with the, with the same organisations and saying things need to change, and yet they haven't changed enough yet. And yet that's not to dismiss, and and certainly you know not not to disparage all the effort that's going into it yeah. because there is fantastic work going on and it's brilliant to see that um it's just that as a survivor i want it to be better it can be yeah. better and we, we should be doing more do you find that so, it, it changes depending on like who for lack of a better terminology like who has the power of say 
because obviously that changes in regards to governments, that changes in regards to um, council, local councils and provinces and, and what yeah. have you, and they all have their own agendas as well. They all yeah. have their own friends, and yeah. it's that that pushing the dynamic, pushing constantly against something, finally getting somewhere, and then having the rug pulled from under you like a year or two later because somebody news in power that has a different agenda. Yeah. There, there's there's always that risk, and I think one of the things that that I've I've come to realise is that. Um, what you need to do is work with the people who've got their hearts in it. And you can tell, you can tell the people who are interested and engaged, you know, you can tell the ministers and the MPs and, you know, the officials and, and people working in, in organisations like the, the CPS, uh, Crown Prosecution Service or, or in the police. And you can tell the ones who've got their heart there and you know, maybe they know people themselves, maybe they even got their own experiences sometimes, but they're the ones that you work with. They're the ones that you seek out. And when you do that, it doesn't really matter who's in yeah. power because, you you know, you, you're working on that level of personal understanding and involvement. And I think sometimes it's not unless you've, known somebody or experienced something yourself that you really understand what it means yeah and if you don't understand that it's, it's all a mystery and i think i think a lot of a lot of people if they've never had trauma in their lives don't understand what the long-term impact can be don't understand why people 20 or 30 years later will say you know that they're still getting flashbacks or you know it's still bothering them um because they you know for, for most people if something happens it's in the past yeah it's just that this is a very kind very different kind of experience and it affects memory and it affects emotions and, and our whole body in a very different way oh definitely definitely and and i think i suppose that's where like, you've got the the two levels the the two levels of the of the the side of it you've got like the the uh, for lack of a better word the higher level where you're speaking to the politicians speaking to the the police officers you're speaking to the the people in charge that you're trying to convince yeah. about the work that you're doing that it's worth financing yeah. that it's worth supporting and then you've got the um the the more intimate ground level of working with the actual survivors and seeing yeah. their progress and seeing them like really come out of that horrible yeah. situation and that's that's the rewarding bit and yeah. the the top levels like the the frustrating bit where it's just well mostly frustrating i'm sure there are plenty of really amazing opportunities and amazing people that you've you've met but that that level of the rewarding bit is seeing these people get better in themselves after yeah. the scenario and then you've yeah. got the give us money because it's a worthwhile cause god damn it like <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it <laughs> That is amazing. That is amazing. Well, just before we do anything else, this is the 20th birthday of the Survivors Trust this year. Is that right? It is. That's right. We um, we registered as a... We'd, we'd already been meeting, but we formally registered as a charity in May 2003. So somehow it's two decades later wow. and... You know, we're we're still going strong. We're still doing the same thing, and in fact, getting stronger than ever. You know, and we we do get a hell of a lot of support, um, and a lot of survivors. Um, you know, want, wanting to do things, and that is is just brilliant. Yeah. Um, so we're we're yeah we're working on plans to you know just to to promote out there it's really difficult because this is such a tough subject to work yes. with yeah how do you say we're gonna have a celebration it's like, it's like yeah i mean the, the, i'm i'm all too aware because like i as a yeah. sex educator like my, i've yeah. got my face printed on condoms as my business card do you know what i mean like i was, uh, yeah. I was like this would be fun but as a result yeah. there's so many companies that are just like no we can't work with you no, we can't oh, work no. with you because because really? it's because it's sex, and then they don't want their company associated yeah. with sex. 
and I can only imagine that you have similar scenarios in your scenario, uh, in your in your situation where you're going to companies being like, "Hey, we're going to have a bit of a celebration. It's a dark thing, but we're celebrating the fact we've been we've been helping people for 20 years. That's yeah. what you're celebrating, not the fact that you know exactly. Yeah, the, the, yeah. It, it's unfortunate that the charity is even needed in the first place, but the fact of the matter is, it is, and you're yeah. celebrating that you have helped. You have spent 20 years helping the survivors, regardless of gender, helping the survivors yeah. and their families get through those difficult times. That's it. And that's, it that's absolutely so amazing. It. What, what are you doing to celebrate? Come on, tell me. Well, we, you know, we're, we're, planning th we're planning things throughout the year. You know, we're, we're hoping to do some, and I, I will be contacting you again, Valence, some, some podcasts and videos and things. Ooh, how exciting. <laughs> Which, you know, we've we've minimal experience in doing stuff like that. We're we're certainly planning a conference for uh, next May, so we're planning things throughout the months or throughout this year, and then culminating in a, a conference next May, which will be our twenty first birthday. And um, yeah, wanting to make the most out of it, I guess, and and just have the whole year of things to do. So some of it will be um maybe fundraising events where we're looking for quirky ideas of things to do um and wanting to really get the message out there that support is there it's you even if it takes a while to get to it even if there is a waiting list it will make the difference and it's it's mm. worth it um and just fighting for that fighting for that change you know we've we've got a victims and prisoners bill currently going through parliament we're hoping that that's going to make a difference for victims rights fantastic wanting to bring survivors together to comment on that we we run survivors forums and if anyone's interested in any of our forums then go go through our website and and just let us know um we you know it's really important to us that survivors are there saying what they need saying what their experiences are um and so yeah we'll we'll be doing a whole variety of things throughout the year and and we'll just keep keep battering on the doors like we have been doing for two two decades that's amazing that's so amazing and by all means you're saying you wanted to contact me if there's quirky ideas <laughs> i can definitely do those <laughs> <laughs> for sure <laughs> That is absolutely fantastic. That's amazing. We have had one um, question from the chat, um, which is, what are your thoughts about current sex education in schools regarding consent and awareness of sexual abuse, and how would you like to see them evolve in the future? Yeah. Um, I, I think it's useful to have education about consent, but I'm really aware that for many children in school, by the time those consent workshops come around, it's too late. So in terms of childhood sexual abuse, for example, I'm uh, much more in favour of talking to children, not going in and talking to young children about sexual violence and rape, but talking about um, in, in the integrity of their own bodies and talking about what to do if they feel uncomfortable. I sometimes think that consent places um, places a, a, almost a burden too much on boys and young men and I think it can be a really confusing time. I think it's it's something that needs to be developed in, um, in a, a slightly different way um, and also just aware that there are significant numbers of boys and young men who are victims themselves. I think for me the way consent is delivered in school it should be from an external specialist agency i think there should be um, scope for any kids who've got any issues to confidentially talk to someone and to have that support available um and yeah like i say i, I would be talking much sooner and whilst i think consent is valuable i think it's more important for everyone to be informed yeah. i think at the moment the internet has created so many problems for for kids and for young people you know i was at a, a conference the other week where we were hearing about um access to online 
pornography and you know it's between the ages of seven and 11 up to 70 percent of kids will have seen not just mild pornography but you know the most severe uh, kind so we need to be thinking about that too and you know in in that context i think consent gets a bit weird i think there's a i think there's been almost a blurring of what's natural and acceptable yeah. and normal for people to have choice around and not to feel that you know they they have to consent to everything yeah and i think there's there's also uh, the the dynamic of the fact that unfortunately as as i found out through a lot of the work that i do the un- a lot of children are learning sex education from yeah. pornography. Yeah. There was there was a thing a while ago, the statistics yeah. that came out, which I can't remember off the top of my head, but it was saying that there was um, a, a large percentage of um, young teenagers who believed that sex always ended with uh, a man coming on the woman's face. And it was just yeah. like that that was just their view of that that's what it happens because that's what they yeah. do in the porn films. So that yeah. must be the case. And it's like unfortunately, I think it's it's a constant battle with mm-hmm. um antiquated values of, of the idea that no, you can't teach children about sex because they need to be young yeah. and they need to be pure and it's like, yeah, there's a lip there's the, they allow them to be young and pure, <laughs> but let them be aware of what the world is like. Let them be aware of the fact that there's some nasty people out there. Let them be aware of mm-hmm. consent. Let them be aware of these yeah. things so they can make their own decisions and be aware of the dangers that are yeah. out there yeah. for them, you know? Yeah. Um, I've um, actually... Oh, no. Yeah, well, I was going to say, you know, we need to be teaching kids how to respect and value themselves and yes. so that yes. they do make choices and, and that they're happy and comfortable with what's happening. Yeah, no, completely and utterly, completely agree. We've actually had uh, another question that's just come in as well. Um, I would like to know how um, your help actually looks like or what the help actually looks like. Is it group therapy similar to AA or they're also helping with legal stuff and that kind of things? Oh, so, I mean, it's a whole range of different things. So, um, you know, there there is uh, group therapy available or peer support groups. Um, lots of agencies provide one-to-one counselling either um, these days online sometimes or face-to-face on the phone um, and lots of other different services too so play therapy for, for kids um, but we, we've got a whole list of the different kinds of therapies that our agencies provide so some are, some are providing equine therapy um, or they'll have therapy dogs too. Um, a whole range of different things. Sometimes it's um, a specific kind of interventions like um, EMDR, eye movement desensitization, um, or it's uh, person centered counseling. Uh, also, advocacies, so uh, independent sexual violence advisors who will support someone in and it's across anything any aspect whether it's education work benefits or if they're involved in a court case then supporting them through that through um you know sometimes even appearing in court with them so a whole range of of different things usually tailored to what's needed um and uh provided as you know in the best way the most effective way for someone that's that's i think that's for me one of the things that i love most about the survivors trust is the fact that it's not just a a one one size fits all um scenario it's literally like this requires a certain type of therapy this requires a certain type of support um this family need a bit more support for these things you you literally tailor it as needed or as best as you possibly can given the limitations that that, um, all charities and and what have you have but you you tailor it per survivor and 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 survivors family if if need be etc like that's that's really amazing (laughs) to be honest with you 
That's amazing. Well, thank you so much, Faith. Thank you so much for, for joining me and agreeing to this. I really, really appreciate it. It's been amazing. So before we be, we end, can you tell us where people can find um, the Survivors Trust, please? Yes. If you go to the survivorstrust.org, you will, you'll find us. There's a, a contact form on the page. There's also links to our TST Survivor Resources website, which has got a whole load of information. You know, we ask survivors, what do you, what do you need on this website? What do you want to see? And, you know, they wanted everything. They wanted information. They wanted the science behind trauma responses. They wanted all the subjects covered for all the areas of their lives that they felt had been impacted. So have a look at that too. And on our website, you'll see there is a, a helpline and if anyone uh, wants more information or just wants to chat, then then please call that too. That's amazing. That's absolutely fantastic. And for those people that are watching um, the VOD on YouTube or listening to the podcast on one of the many podcast sites, um, I will put all of the links down below in the description um, so that everyone can easily find these amazing resources to these ama this amazing charity because I've I've loved it. I've, I've had a wonderful time and... Um, Maybe one day everyone will see pictures of me with absolutely no hair because uh, that happens. <laughs> I just I, I looked like Richard O'Brien from the Crystal Maze. It was uh, it was uh, an interesting part of my life, you know.